Well, good morning, church. It's so good to see all of you here this morning, whether you are here uh, in our campus or whether you are online. We are so glad that you are joining us. We are continuing our series, The Politics of Jesus. Today, we're talking about the fame of Jesus, the fame of the King. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up with me to Mark chapter 1. That's where we'll be today. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And as you're turning there, I I was thinking through this passage and thought about fame and how we love to make famous people more famous, don't we? We love to talk about famous people. We love to gossip about famous people. We love to write uh, these articles and put them in the racks about famous people. And every time you walk by a store, and every time you're trying to check out, you're looking at all of these pictures of famous people and weird things about them. We love to know weird facts about famous people. And I actually got interested and started looking up my own weird facts, and I come to you with, a, uh, <laughs> with my findings here. It's pretty weird. Uh, Kim Kardashian, <laughs> she hires people Hires them, pays them money, gives them greenbacks to say, hey, can you take the little cardboard piece off of my coffee cup because I can't stand the sound of it? She literally said, the sound of cardboard and the cup together is like nails in a chalkboard. So she'll leave the room as she pays someone to take it off. Uh, Mike Tyson, he owns a bathtub that's worth $2.2 million. It's made of 24 karat pure gold. Imagine that. Rihanna, <laughs> this one got me, because I do, uh, I mean, I just brush my hair over. She spends $1.1 million per year on her hair. And I cannot even begin to imagine that. Mariah Carey and Nick Cannon, for their twins, they created this room. And some of y'all are like, why did my parents not do this for me? They created this room that was only for candy. They would walk in and they had any candy they could ever desire. And I'm sure that they spent a lot of time at the dentist as well. Paris Hilton's dog. So <laughs> Paris Hilton loves her dog more than many people love their children. She created this 300 square foot, $325,000 villa <laughs> that has a black chandelier, a black crystal chandelier, and a balcony for her animal, for her pet dog. <laughs> and she spent all that just to show how much she loves that dog. Pretty incredible. George Lucas, he owns a fire truck, and he employs 14 full-time firefighters. I have no idea why. Don't ask me, but he's George Lucas, so if he made Star Wars, he can do what he wants. Um, After he was married, Joe Biden named his first puppy Senator. Donald Trump's private jet has gold-plated seatbelts. Gold-plated seatbelts. That's pretty impressive. We love to talk about famous people and their lives and the weird things they do. I think it's amazing that we know so much about these people. We know so much about the famous people in our world today. And I was watching on Wednesday night after youth, I watched the debate between uh, Mike Pence and Kamala Harris. And it was It was interesting. I made it about halfway through, and then I had to stop. But um, it was amazing to me that I noticed they just spent the whole time trying to make their running mate more famous. They talked about the issues. They defended them. uh, And then they really propagated them and really would get angry with each other on defense for the other running mate. They wanted to make that running mate famous. And today, we're going to be talking about the fame 
of the king. I think that many of us want to make famous the wrong people. We want to put fame and make much of these people who really are not worthy of being made much of like our King Jesus is. And we see his face here, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Jesus is the one that we should be making famous. And in this passage, Mark chapter 1, 21 through 28, we see that Jesus had a famous truth to proclaim, famous power, and famous news to share. So would you read along with me in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. And they went into Capernaum, the city that means the village of Nahum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. The synagogue was this place that was kind of like church, but they would also do all sorts of other things in it. They would have social gatherings. They would have court, like private court sessions, things like that in the synagogue. And so he enters the synagogue, but on the Sabbath, they would open up the Old Testament and would talk through the Old Testament. And he entered the synagogue and was teaching, verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Imagine coming to church and <laughs> there's a man with an unclean spirit, a possessed person by a demon, and he cries out. He starts screaming. Imagine what that would be like. That's what those people are feeling in this moment. They are freaked out. Verse 24, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Verse 25, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing in him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, immediately, without delay, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is an incredible story about Jesus' truth, his power, and a message of his fame. In verses 21 and 22, I notice that Jesus proclaims a famous truth. This truth he proclaims is different than what the scribes would proclaim. So in the, in the days when there were synagogues and they were over in Jerusalem, there were not churches, there were not uh, proclamation of the word like what we have here. And so what they would do is the scribe would show up and he, would, he was this educated guy, he was like a professor, and he would open up the, the Old Testament and he would start analyzing it. And he would share what his opinion is. But this is kind of how they would teach. They would say, well, in my educated opinion, I think it says this. Well, this other professor, this other scribe, he, he says it this way. And th that's another option to believe. But they wouldn't stand firm on the truth. There were so many different ways that people interpreted the Bible, some literally, some figuratively. And we even have that in our day to day that they did not stand on the authority of the word of God. So when Jesus showed up and he started preaching, not as the scribes, not as saying, well, I feel like this is true or I think this is true, but saying this is true, they were astonished. They had never heard anything like it before. And I know that 2,000 years ago, a synagogue in Israel is much different, much, much different than today. But there are similarities one of the greatest similarities here is that truth leaves people astonished no matter what. 
Truth 2,000 years ago in Galilee leaves people astonished, and truth 2,000 years later from there today leaves people astonished. When people hear the truth, the authority of the word of God, they will be astonished. And many of us live our lives as if we are on the defensive. We think that so many people don't want to hear what we have to say as Christians. And yes, there are some people who are vocal against the gospel. But I can tell you from someone who talks to, to young adults and to students all the time and goes and finds non-believers to talk to all the time, I've found that in those conversations, people are not afraid of truth. They are seeking truth. They want to hear the truth. They want to know and find truth and life and joy. And at 11 o'clock, we're going to have a young man baptized because he was wanting to know the truth. He was astonished by the truth. Whenever I shared the truth, his eyes just lit up. And I'm telling you, church, when people hear the truth, they will be astonished. John 14, 6 says, I am the way. This is Jesus speaking. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is the truth that we must proclaim, that people will be astonished by. He, he is worthy of their astonishment and ours. And also, truth drives out darkness. I find this really interesting that if you look at the text, where does the demon show up? He shows up in the church. He shows up in the synagogue. But whenever he encounters Jesus, fear comes over him. Did you notice it says he screamed, he cried out? That word, he, he's crying out with, with fear, with terror. This demon is terrified. How is it that this demon has been going to church? <laughs> he's been attending church services and has not been terrified by the truth. But when Jesus shows up to share the truth and to proclaim the truth, he screams in terror. Oftentimes we think, that the enemy that we fight and that we wrestle against, the enemy, the prince of the power of this air, uh, of the air, the demons, all that stuff, and then just sin nature in people, we think that that is going to be stronger than the one who came to destroy evil. Whenever I see a picture of this, I'm amazed that this man, this demon-possessed man, feared Jesus because Jesus proclaimed the truth and truth casts out fear. Truth causes evil to flee. Truth causes darkness to flee. And John chapter 1 again. The book of John says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And you're, you may be thinking, well, this world we live in is so dark. You just turn on the news, you see all the negative, you see all the bad constantly. Things are tough. Things are difficult today. Man, there is so much injustice. There's so much anger and bitterness and pain and all sorts of things going on. We see the scourges of racism and we see the scourges of lawlessness. We see all sorts of things happening in our dark world. We see people committing suicide at a higher rate than they ever have. We see students in, uh, in schools depressed more than they ever have been. What is going on about this dark world? Why is this happening? It's because of sin and it's because Whenever we have a light of truth, oftentimes we don't share it. The lights are going to start coming down, and I want you to think and visualize how dark our world is, how broken our world is. This darkness represents the sin, the suffering, 
the shame people have, the brokenness of our world. But if this passage is true, and what Jesus did in this text we're looking at is true, Jesus casted out light, or casted out darkness with light. He used light. Everywhere he went, he casted out darkness. Everywhere this light shines, the darkness flees. And in the same way, we have an ability, we have a power, because it is the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead but lives within us that we, too, can shine light. And so what if I went and started sharing the light of Jesus with someone else? And so I go over here and I share, I show these people over here the light of Jesus. And one by one, they start experiencing the light of Jesus. They start having their light of truth illuminate. And so as they do that, then everyone else starts being infected by the truth. And as the truth grows, as light grows, so darkness flees and evil flees. And no longer will our world be focused on the darkness of this world, but they will be focused on the truth of the hope of Jesus Christ. But it takes us grabbing the flashlight of truth, and I I mean proclaiming with our mouths the truth of Jesus Christ, that we are sinners separated from God because of what we've done against him, but Jesus has come to take our place. He died on a cross. He suffered the shame and the punishment from God that we deserved, and as he suffered and died on that tree, he paid the price, and now we who trust in him will have our Christ paid for us. And then he rose again three days later to prove he was powerful enough to conquer sin and death and hell and shame. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father inviting anyone who will believe in him to have the everlasting life he has purchased on the cross. But it takes this light coming out of your pocket. It takes us proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ, not timidly, but with authority, knowing that that authority does not come from us, it comes from God. His word is truth. We live in a dark world, but truth casts out darkness, and those who see the light of truth will have their hearts transformed by it. Now, in verses 23 through 26, this is crazy. I mean, the whole, <laughs> I can't imagine sitting in church and a demon-possessed person crying out, screaming, and this whole thing going down. You see verse 24 that uh, he says, you have come, have you come to destroy us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are. It's interesting to me that no one knows who Jesus is in the room. They just think he's another teacher. Even his disciples don't really know who he is yet because he just said, come follow me. He has got... He's got four disciples with him. They haven't figured out yet just who he is. But the demon knows, and the demon professes, and the demon screams in terror and horror because he knows that God is powerful enough to overwhelm the darkness. And he knows what his end is. He knows what is in the plans. He knows, hey, have you come to destroy us? He knows what the future holds. Darkness has no chance. Evil has no chance. And when we live knowing the power of Jesus to, yes, cast out demons, but more than that, to cast out sin, to regenerate and change hearts and lives forever, when we know that that power is available, 
That power to cast out the demon is the same power that you have to share the gospel with someone and them to know Jesus and start a relationship with him for the first time. We have this power living within us because of what he has done for us. And one of the most beautiful things to me is something this demon says, which is weird to say, but he says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3 says, there's these angels and they're crying out to one another, worshiping God in his throne in heaven and they're screaming, holy, holy, holy. They see that he is perfect, perfect, perfect. Different, different, different. Set apart, set apart, set apart. He is holy, which means he is not like any creation. He is greater than the creation because he is the creator. He is powerful and mighty. So what... What can anything in this world, what kind of sin problem, what kind of brokenness, what kind of depression, what kind of evil could ever stand against our great and mighty king? None. And and as powerful as he is, he has the power that enemies tremble, that hell trembles at his name, but our king also has the power to save the hopeless. I, th- I think sometimes we look at these people in the Bible who've been demon-possessed as enemies. But if you think about it, they're actually just people who have been oppressed. People who have had their will taken away. People who, who can't do anything on their own accord anymore. This man is hopeless. Can you imagine how hopeless it would be to not even be able to control what you say? To not control the thoughts and the feelings in your heart. This man was utterly hopeless. And that synagogue didn't help him. The I feel like this is true didn't help him. The authoritative truth that Jesus brought is what freed him. Our king has the power to save the most hopeless, the most broken the most lost person. There is no one too far gone. And you may have that person in your head that you're thinking, Jesus is great, yes, but he'll, they'll never know Jesus. They'll never accept him. They've rejected me a thousand times before. They're not going to get there. No one is too far gone. Nobody. Our king is mighty to save the hopeless. And because of this, Because Jesus has famous truth that leaves people astonished, that drives out darkness, he has famous power so that enemies even recognize his power and his kingship. And he has the power to save the hopeless. Because of all of that, we have famous news to proclaim. We have famous news to get out to every living, breathing person we can. In verses 27 and 28, we see the fame of Jesus grow. It says this, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Verse 28, don't miss this. And at once, his fame spread immediately, without delay, As all that was happening, people were so astonished, so amazed, they could not stop talking about him. 
Just like you may be astonished and amazed about whatever celebrity or whatever thing they do or the game or whatever, and you want to go tell everyone about it, we should be so much more astonished by the power of our king that we make him famous and spread it everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now change that to DFW. Change that to Texas. Change that to Rowlett. Change that, students, into your school, whether it's Rowlett High School or wherever you are at. Change that word and make it your own. The fame spread everywhere throughout all the region of wherever it is for you. Wherever you are, his fame should be spreading. I'm kind of heartbroken that um, our world is so dark and there's so much pain and suffering and the news agenda is so dark all the time. Like, it, it gets depressing constantly being in darkness and negativity and all that. But I realized that as I was reading this passage, news only becomes news when it's reported. If it's not reported, it's just an event that happened in history and then it gets forgotten. News is only news if it's reported. Many of y'all remember and were, went through the pain of the tornado. And uh, the tornado came through and it was this big, scary thing and made Rowlett look like that. And I don't know if y'all know Julie Tomko. Uh, she is, she's, for me, has become a friend and a mentor, someone who points me to Jesus every single chance that she gets. Every conversation I have with Julie, I walk away going, I know Jesus better because I've spent time with her. So if you know her, will you please tell her how much you love her and how thankful you are for her? She's our children's minister, if you're not aware. But Julie, um, she was telling me a story about three or four days ago. And she was saying whenever the tornado came through, her house got completely destroyed. They had to rebuild all that good stuff or bad stuff, and uh, she was interviewed twice. She was interviewed by the news who every time they would ask a question was about negativity. What's it like? What does it feel like to lose your home? How, how powerless do you feel right now? How scared are you? are you? Aren't you really scared? And Julie, like Julie, you know her, she would say, you know what? Yes, that's terrible, but can I tell you how God is showing me how good he is in this moment? Can I show you what God is teaching me? You know, that, yeah, my house is gone, but all my, all my kids are okay, my family's okay, and, and I get to rebuild, and, and then I get to help other people, and this gives me an opportunity to tell people about what Jesus has done for me more than any other opportunity I've ever had. And like, she's just pointing it all back to Jesus. See, her agenda in that moment, in that interview process, was good news. Their agenda was bad news. And I want to ask, what news are you reporting? What news is it that you are proclaiming? If you were on the TV, if you were someone sharing the news, if you were writing the articles, what would they look like? And if your life is a bunch of articles, if everything you say is an article, what news are you reporting? I want to be more like Julie. Someone who constantly reports the good news of Jesus Christ, not the negative news. Romans 10, 14 says, How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Someone has to share the news. If no one proclaims that Jesus died the death that we deserve, then his death on the cross is an event lost in all of history. If no one proclaims and reports on the news that Jesus resurrected three days later, then it is an event lost in history. And if no one tells the story about how he has transformed their lives, then that moment in your story is just a moment that is forgotten forever. But if you are constantly reporting and telling the news of Jesus Christ, it will be news that deserves to be spread and proclaimed, and it will change the world. Just like that light illuminated this room, so will you illuminate this dark world. The news of Jesus finally deserves to be spread. I can't remember where I heard this. Somewhere this week, I feel like I have self-diagnosed ADHD. I'll see something and then it's gone. Uh, But I heard somewhere this week I've got something better to do. I don't know if it was a movie. I don't know where I saw it, but that stuck with me because it made me start thinking, do I have something better to do? What I'm talking about. Do I have something better to be talking about? The, the, the things I'm doing for fun, do I have something better to do? Do I have something better to do? I think all of us have something better to do, which is to share the goodness of God, because it deserves to be spread. Just like how the message of Jesus spread throughout all of Galilee, so does God's truth deserve to be spread. And whenever we believe the truth, whenever we believe the truth of Christ, so truth, the famous truth, and whenever we experience his famous saving power, we will live to spread his fame. I think about how many people there are who have never heard his name. I was talking to one of my friends that I live close to in my apartment complex, and I was telling him about Jesus, and he's like, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross, but I never knew why. There are people who may have heard his name, but yet they have never heard why they should listen to him why they should know him, why they should begin a relationship with him, and that's where we come in, because his news is worthy of being spread. And together, as the band comes, and I close up, I just want us to declare together, I will spread the fame of Jesus. Make that a declaration in your heart, and in your, in your mind, And in your life, I will spread the fame of Jesus. There's nothing I will not do to spread the fame of Jesus. And you may be wondering, I don't know how to start. I don't even know how to begin spreading the fame of Jesus. And the way that you can do that, we have a few simple ways. I saw Mr. Crank, Richard Crank, dropping off candy. He was dropping off candy, and everyone was probably walking by going, oh, that's great, he's dropping off candy. But what that candy represents, each piece of candy for our fall festival represents something that someone can hand to someone else and say, I love you. Can I tell you why I love you? And start a gospel conversation. Every piece of candy has the potential to reach a lost person with the gospel. 
Maybe you need to sign up and serve. And if you have not signed up online, we need help. We don't want to start cutting events. Julie has, is a mastermind that is making this amazing event. She's got all these different inflatables and fun things to do and games and booths, everything you can think of. We don't want to start cutting that back. So we need you to sign up for that. But, but listen, it's not just a, a shameless plug, which kind of is. But we also, every time we step into a place of service, whether it's at a booth at the fall festival or whether it's loving one of your coworkers, we have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus and make him famous. So what is it in your life? What area are you going to step out, pull out the flashlight, say, I'm done talking about, <laughs> about Paris Hilton and her dog mansion. I'm going to start talking about Jesus Christ and tell everyone about him. When is it we're going to make that decision? It's going to be a great day when we do. It's going to transform our lives. So let's do it today. Let's not wait any longer. Maybe you're in here. I can't assume that everyone in here knows Jesus or is watching online knows Jesus, but if you need to start a relationship with him for the first time today, it simply comes by trusting in him, what he's done for you on the cross, dying for your sin and rising again. And if you need someone to pray with you, Jason and I will be down here to pray with you. Maybe you need to join the church. You'd say, I, I've been attending for a while, but I need to plug in and invest. Maybe you need to come and join the church. We'd love to welcome you into this family. And maybe you're in here and you'd say, I just need prayer. We're here for that. But I'm going to invite all of you to stand right now. We're going to pray. And then as the Spirit leads, you respond. Come down the aisle. Make the decision you need to make. Talk to the Lord do business with God. Let's pray together.